Salutations, Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week, live from Los Angeles, California. Mm. It's not really live. When you're listening to this, we're not like doing live radio. But in Los Angeles, California, it's Greg Karam. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. Good to be here. As, as promised, we will be doing, not daily, but podcasts after each Mets playoff game, which was a better idea in theory before they announced two post 9 p.m. start times. Yeah, not so good for you East Coasters. No, we tried to record last night at around 1.30, but I was basically dead. And my computer was also basically dead. So instead, we're recording, what is it, 8 a.m. out there in Los Angeles? Uh, almost. Almost. Almost 8 a.m. in Los Angeles. So one of us was going to be a wreck one way or the other when we recorded this. But we will soldier through, and we will start with an opening question. Last night at the Mets post-game press conference... Jacob DeGrom pranked Daniel Murphy by lowering his chair while he was talking to the press. So if you could prank or punk, as the kids say, Greg, one Met, who would you prank and what would your prank be? I think I'd want to prank uh, Matt Harvey just because, you know, sometimes it's just like, you know, fuck Matt Harvey a little bit. It is a and, little bit uh, sometimes, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I'd take like his post-game clothes because, you know, he, he's very... It's very fashionable. So I would take his clothes and maybe I'd soak him in water or something like that. Or uh, That's probably I, what I would do. That's a good one. I think I'd replace all his like Axe body sprays. You know, he does all like the Axe stuff mm. with like the most like old man cologne, like Aqua Velva, like the most <laughs> old man cologne I could come up with. That would be good. Yeah, I think for me, I'm going to prank Michael Kadire because sometimes fuck Michael Kadire, especially when he's <laughs> misplaying balls in left field repeatedly. Yeah. Um, so he's a big magic guy, obviously. Mm-hmm. He does magic tricks. So uh, Penn and Teller have this cool little bit where they do like the they show you how they do the trick, and it's a woman sawing a half trick, obviously. But then they sort of turn it around and have it look like they screwed it up when they put it back together, and just like blood spurts everywhere. So it's like a double reverse. So I do that with Michael Kadire. Like, 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 like Michael Kadire, like David Wright's like, oh, you should totally cut me in half to like psych up the team before the big, the playoff game starts. That'll be like the big like pregame in lieu of like a big speech. Michael Kadire sawing David Wright in half. I don't know why this would inspire the team, but for the purposes of this either. discussion, we'll go with that. So we like saw David Wright in half. Everything's going normal and into the spot where... Uh, Suddenly, blood starts spurting out, and he doesn't expect it, and everyone panics. And... Yeah, and if it gave him a real scare, that would make me happy. It might also kill him. I don't know if his heart could take it. He, he literally looks like he's 50 years old out there yeah, in, yeah. in every way right now. <clears throat> oh, it was bad. I will say, uh, the best thing about DeGrom doing that to Murph is Murph was, like, legitimately annoyed. Because he was in the middle, like, if there's any other situation, Murph would have found it funny. But Murph was talking about hitting. And how he hits, and, and like the like like offense, like at bat and approach stuff, like in the middle of that, you had him like really annoyed. First time I watched it, I couldn't tell what he was doing. I thought he was like touching his leg or something, and and Murph was like, "Oh, no, don't do that." <laughs> <laughs> so you were obviously out there for the game. Can you give us some live impressions? 
Well, there were a lot of Mets fans. I mean, not a ton of Mets fans, but there were plenty of Mets fans. At least there were enough around me that I could high-five people after Murphy's home run <laughs> as the stadium fell awkwardly silent. Um, I, I, my, I mean, it's a beautiful stadium. Uh, it, you know, it's kind of just up on this hill and... But I think part of the issue is that like it's up on this hill and then it's like down in like a I guess a ravine. Um, so there's no wind. So you're sitting there. It's like 95 degrees. There's no wind. You're just like sitting in the stale air. It's like it's hot. <laughs> Put it that way. Um, Are you really complaining about going to game one of the NLDS and watching the Mets? <laughs> I'm trying to let you know what it was like. I was like sweaty. To be there. I'm trying to let you know what it was like to be there. You have some color, okay. Yeah, so, but um, everyone's pretty nice there. And then my impression of the game itself was like, I thought that Kershaw was, I thought Kershaw was out pitching DeGrom for most of the game. Um, it, it, I kind of, you know, because DeGrom was kind of falling behind, uh, whereas Kershaw was just kind of mowing him down. And when that Homer from Murph came off off the bat. It was just so shocking, especially because one, because it was Murph, you know, it's Kershaw, but it's just you didn't think that, and no one could make any solid any contact at all to the outfield, and then he gets into it and just gives it a rope into right field. It was just, it was really shocking, and it sucked the wind right out of the stadium, and uh, all the energy just kind of got sucked out, and then you heard the smattering of Mets fans giving themselves high fives. I thought it was such like a Murph thing in that home run in a way. Because, of course, I tweeted before the game, or like I think right after he struck out in his first at bat, that it was more defensible to bat John Mayberry Jr. clean up against Clayton Kershaw than Daniel yeah. Murphy. But it's just like it. Murph will just, every once in a while, he's going to just absolutely pull a fastball and hit a mile. And it doesn't really matter who the pitcher is or what the situation is. Just every so often, Murphy's going to do that. You can't predict it. You can't predict baseball, Susan. But... Yeah, he just no, got a fastball out over the plate inside. He was gonna try to pull it instead of like serving it into left center field. Yeah, he put a charge into it, and uh, I, I guess you could say that throwing the 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 lefty lineup out there, you know, just player good players, uh, with the exception of Kadire, it really kind of worked out last night, especially with Granderson having a good game. I think he got on base uh, three times, maybe that two or three right, times, yeah. and. Um, I think Duda had a hit and maybe a walk uh, in that in that big inning. So, and then Murph. So it, it worked out with with the lineup. I think for the most part. I mean, I think Granderson is sort of the most defensible left-handed start in this game, just because you know he's going to give you good at bats. Right. But he's going to. I mean, yeah, he's probably not going to do a ton of damage against Kershaw. He had that one pretty hard hit ball back up the middle, but his other hit was kind of a a little dink over the shift and he's at least going to battle dude is going to give you good at bats I mean Murphy looked terrible and then just like yanked a fastball yeah and they got another like fat fastball I think in a later at bat and just popped it up so like I said it's Murphy you just don't know what's going to happen at any given time yeah but I think overall their approach against Kershaw worked despite other than Murphy's home run they didn't really even threaten until the seventh inning um the you know basically get him out of the game as soon as possible strategy i mean even if it's in the seventh inning yeah well you saw early they were 
they were going after first pitch fastballs, which I agree with because it, once you get down on Kershaw, you're in trouble. And it was just very apparent when you're there. Just you, every time they were down and behind, fastball, fastball, and then you're, you're getting hit with that slider and that curveball, which are just it's, devastating. Like, I watch a fair amount of Clayton Kershaw starts between my father being a Dodgers fan and Clayton Kershaw starts being appointment TV generally. Yeah. But it's like even it just I'm always like somewhat surprised by how good the slider is <laughs> like I, it's I, just I, it like it looks like it's just it looks like a fastball the whole way and then just it's so late and it's so down it's like late and tilt down yeah you have no I, chance like it looks like it's just a fastball boring in the guy should be able to turn on and then he just swings over it everyone just swings over it i didn't have a good angle of it but the swings that they were taking on that pitch were just very ugly and you could tell that because it was that pitch that was like 89 90 and they looked very bad on it but in the end greg Karam, yeah jacob Degrom outpitched him he did sort of well so the thing about the Degrom start no is, not sort of he definitely outpitched him yeah i guess i guess you know he gets the W in the in the box score at the end of the day. DeGrom didn't walk four guys. True. Um, and I think coming into the game, you had to favor Clayton Kershaw, but this was possible. Jacob DeGrom is very, very good. Oh, yeah. Uh, by some measures, the best start in Mets playoff history. And the funny thing about it is, you know, it wasn't his best, st- you know, stuff outing. No. He the, was the fastball command was not good. The slider wasn't always there. He was certainly inefficient early. But even without perfect location, he was just beating dudes with that fastball. Yeah. Yeah, they... they that lineup does not look very good. See, um, I don't I don't know is the funny thing. Like, it, it looks... I think it's very similar to the Mets lineup in that there is, it leans left-handed, a lot of veteran hitters, but you still kind of feel like you can pitch to it. But there's only a few guys in the lineup that actually scare you. Um, I guess I would say that I guess Seager scares you a little, Adrian Gonzalez scares you a little, and Justin Turner scares you. <laughs> Justin Turner. He really does. But he got two really fat fastballs to hit. It was probably yeah. some of two of DeGrom's worst fat worst fat fastballs of the night. But he hit him. He did. He hit him hard too. He hit one of them right at Michael Kadire, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. That ball was smoked, but it No, it was smoked, it. yeah. Um, somebody asked me on Twitter if uh, Jacob DeGrom now counts as a motherfucker. If he's oh, come achieved on. motherfucker status. Well, here's the thing. It's like, motherfucker is a very specific definition to me. I don't know if it's the precise one for DeGrom. He's got that kind of, like, laconic North Florida attitude to him. It's not bro Maybe it's, like, farm bro. There's, like, bro. There's, like, hipster bro. He's, like, farm bro. So it's it's not like a he's not like an aggro. Yeah, it's uh, not even and not even aggro per se, because um, there is a certain amount of sort of nonchalance to being a motherfucker. Yeah, where you're just kind of like taking care of business. But it, that's why I think about Matt. He just sort of takes care of business. Yeah. Well, big game pitcher. Yeah, big game pitcher. If you prefer, I think maybe I for Degrom I might go with one bad ombre. Okay. As opposed to motherfucker. <laughs> we'll see if that sticks. I don't think it's going to stick. <laughs> it's going to take a while to get. So that's what I'm going with. 
I will say I should have been like I I wasn't nervous for this game. I know like everybody on Twitter was incredibly antsy. Which is fair. It's the first Mets playoff game in nine years and it's you know, you're facing Clayton Kershaw. But I think it was just I realized at about ten thirty, it's like I just want to go to bed. I mean I'm not going to go to bed, <laughs> but I'm too tired to really be like nervous about this. Uh, I'm just like I, I slouch do. down like in the couch with a the weird sort of mint julep thing I made and I'm just like, ah, this is pleasant. Yeah, I think the adrenaline kept me going into the sixth, but I was starting to fail. I mean, because I flew out there yesterday and I was, uh, you know, woke up early. I was I was dying by the end of the game. Um, now you got to go to a wedding today? How's that going to work? I'm, I'm going to take a nap after this, I think. <laughs> Drink a lot also, of coffee. That's what I did this morning. I had to file like the game two preview for Prospectus. So I'm like, I'm going to bed at two. I'm like, I got to wake up at eight. Uh, yeah, well, the, the ceremony should be over, uh, or the, the ceremony should be over before the game starts, which could work out well for me. Get a TV on in the reception hall or something? Yeah, or I'll just bring my phone and stealthily stuff in your pocket right here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how it's going to go over here. Uh, you, you know, the one thing we haven't talked about yet, though, is, uh, David Wright. That is next on the agenda, Greg Carroll. Okay. I was just making sure. So talk a little <laughs> bit about David Wright. Well, first of all, the at-bat to start the game, second at-bat of the game, where he battles Kershaw for 12 pitches and then draws a walk, was a big at-bat uh, because it prevented, it prevented Kershaw from getting through a lot of the early innings with a low pitch count, um, and it got him to the point where he was at 100 pitches in the seventh inning and maybe set the stage for what happened. But then you get to the point where you're in the seventh and the bases are loaded and David Wright comes up, two outs. And you're thinking to yourself, this is the moment. Like, this is what you're waiting for. And, and I actually got nervous because I didn't want David Wright to fail in that moment. You know what I mean? There will be some hot tweets if that happens. Yeah, I was really nervous, really nervous for him. And he battles through the bat. Guy's throwing 98, 99 miles an hour. And he fights that one off right up the middle. And it was like one of the best feelings I've ever had as a Mets fan. Because you never, I don't root for anybody harder than I root for David Wright. And to see him come through like that in a big spot in the playoffs was just it was just perfect for me. I will say, and I've said this before, we don't talk about right much on the podcast because it's over just the years. assumed, right? You know, and we're and we're kind of hipsters too. And he's like, you know, he's like Shawshank Redemption. So it's oh, just yeah, like it's can't. like always on and just like hopelessly earnest. <laughs> We'd much rather talk about whatever you know, like the Wilmer Flores film equivalent, probably like the Crying Game. Oh Jesus. Um. But yeah, they you know the Dodgers bring in like chunky Henry Mejia to face him. That was the only thing I could think when they brought him in. I was like, oh, it's like fat Henry Mejia, bad-bodied Henry Mejia to use the proper scouting term. Um, and it's just one of like when he did the fist pump at first base, and I, somebody mentioned this to me last night, and I hadn't really thought about it until that moment. But you know, what's David Wright's future right now, given what he has to do? just to get on the field. Right. The amount of work for every game he wants to play. Yeah, you don't know how long he's going to last. 
Like, this could literally be the last season he plays. It's, it's, it's certainly possible, but somewhat unlikely. But I mean, when you think about it this way, is he what? He's what at this point? One more hamstring or back issue away from having to retire? Like, his body physically forcing him to do it? Yeah. I mean, it's not a fun thing to think about when the Mets just went up one nothing in a playoff series, but I think it's something that's sort of now in the back of my mind, thank you, person that messaged me with that. Um, <laughs> it's Well, so it makes you savor the moment a little bit more. Yeah. It was a very, very nice moment. And hopefully not the last. I didn't mention also on Twitter last night. The, the great thing about... Uh, like, the best-case scenario is we get to feel like that for the rest of the month. Just, like... Yeah. Like, this combination of just, like, horrified, anxious, and jubilant. Yeah. It could go on for a while, and hopefully it does. I mean... Like, there's all these, like, Mets fans on Twitter talking about, like, vomiting during the game, and I'm not sure if they're being facetious or not. <laughs> like, you don't yeah. know. They could be seriously just, like, puking their guts out right now. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was mostly excited for the game. Um, I, I had good confidence in DeGrom. I was scared of Kershaw, but I just wanted to get him out of the game. And it worked out. And now when you think about it... Uh, You've set yourself up for... You're definitely going to go to a Game 4, at least. Uh, you got Matt Harvey going in Game 3 against Brett Anderson. Um, and then y- you might be looking at Kershaw again in Game 4, but on really short rest. So things are setting up well. It was like a really big win for the Mets' chances this year You know, for going forward. Okay, so going into Game 2 tonight, how big do you think Game 2 is for the Mets? Obviously for the Dodgers, they can't go back to New York down 2 nothing. It's not literally a must-win game, but it's a very important game for them to get. You know, coming into the series, the Mets probably would have signed up for a split out in L.A., and they've got that Game 1. Like you said, they've got Harvey going in Game 3 against uh, Brett Anderson. So is it, is it house money today, or do you think they need to sort of really put the pressure on no i think it is house money and i think that i think you've come out here you think you've already assured yourself of a split and what that can do is that can allow you to go out there and play a little bit looser today um which is always a good thing i think look you'd love to get on the plane back to new york up to nothing but i think it's a little more important than you might think that they do that Yes, they have Harvey going in Game 3 against Brett Anderson. But even if you win that after a, after a split out in L.A., it's Matt's against Kershaw in Game 4. I don't think they can really bring DeGrom back on short rest. Not after that many pitches. Barring them being down 2-1, when you might have to adjust your calculus there. And then you have a potential Game 5 with Greinke back in L.A. So it's not... I think you want to give yourself two chances to close out the series in New York. Hey, that's fair. I'm just, I just think that I agree that you, you would obviously that's better, but I think that it, I think that the fact that they won today loosens them up and allows them to gives them a better shot today. I feel. Also, they have Michael Conforto in left field instead of Michael Kadire. 
this is a plus. Actually, if they played Kershaw again, I would probably roll out Lagaris. I think Lagar. I think Lagaris probably starts Game Three against Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. I think I that. Think so. I think that ship. I, you know, Terry got his his guy in there once, but yeah, did rough. not go. And like, I don't want to overreact to one game, but it's like. Look at that lineup. It's like, what's the worst case scenario for the Michael Kadire experience in game one against Clayton Kershaw? It's that. Pretty much. The prestige. (laughs) 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 Uh, That's a good nickname. Ladies and gentlemen, the prestige. (laughs) (sighs) That's it. 20 minutes. It's good. It's perfect. All right. Yeah, game two tonight. We'll be back. With Steve Sippa has volunteered to stay up late for this one. I'm going to my 15th year high school reunion and then coming back to watch the game. So that's going to be a little oh, surreal to sort of finish out our film analogy. It's going to be like a Bunuel film for me. But I'm ready to go. This is getting exciting. Yeah. I'd be good because I have to write the recap for this one. But Okay. <laughs> so I'll be doing it at 1 in the morning probably. After I record episode 144. This was episode 143. I think I said that at some point. They're going to come fast and furious now, so. Yeah. But we'll see you uh, later tonight for another edition of Amazing Avenue Audio. <laughs>